welcome to the True Tabernacle podcast channel. We hope that you find encouragement and inspiration during one of our sermons, discussions, or interviews. For more information regarding our faith community, connect with us on Facebook at our True Tabernacle page. And while you're at it, hit subscribe to this channel to stay connected. Chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. I want to say thank you so much for joining us on a stormy Sunday night. For our visitors that are here in person or perhaps watching online, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we hope not that you're impressed with us, but that you're impressed with Jesus. Because He's the reason why we're here. He has all power. And we're believing that he will transform your life. Amen. We believe that, church. Amen. Acts chapter 7. I uh, talked with the youth team a little bit earlier because of our uh, hot dog dinner. We're going to get out. of Class is going to be dismissed a little early tonight. But we we want you to join us downstairs, okay? Uh, We would love for you to join us and... If you got to get home, you, they can box it to go. If you don't like chili dogs, you can just donate $5. <laughs> oh, some of y'all are a little tight with your wallets, and I, I spotted you. <laughs> Brother Corky's the worst, praise the Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 7. Let's go to the word of the Lord. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen... Full of the Holy Spirit. Everybody shout Holy Ghost. Gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. And they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse 59, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. I want to visit verse 55 once more. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit gazed steadily into heaven. Tonight I want to talk about the difference between glancers and gazers. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to be in your house tonight. We already feel your presence. I pray, God, that your word, which is already perfect and forever settled in heaven, would go forth and transform lives. God, help it not to return void, but accomplish whatsoever you desire to accomplish in this place tonight. I pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts to be ready to receive what you want to do in this place tonight. We come with great expectation in our our heart. If you believe that, would you clap your hands one more time unto Jesus across this place? Thank you, Lord. And you can be seated in Jesus' name. As I as I get older, I 
have become increasingly more aware of the danger that distractions pose for me personally. For some reason, my brain is programmed to pick up unimportant and insignificant information, which disrupts my focus on tasks far greater of importance. And I'm starting to realize that I get it honestly. Now hear me tonight, I absolutely love my Mamaw Gray. I consider her to be one of the absolute uh, best grandparents that have ever lived. She'd do anything for her family. But, but my mammal had two, two main issues that she never quite overcame. The first was that my sweet, loving mammal Gray looked so incredibly hateful at times. And here's the thing, she wasn't. She she life had just worn on her face. And so even if she was in a great mood, you looked at her and thought, I'm not talking to that old lady. <laughs> Secondly, my mammal, she got distracted easily in public places. And uh you might say she was a bit nosy at times. And so if a parent were at the restaurant, Brother Howard, and they were getting on to their children, my mamaw would pay attention. If a couple was arguing at Frisch's, she was going to pay attention. And uh, no, no big deal, no, no worries there, but the biggest problem was she would do that while you were in the middle of a conversation. And so you could watch as you're talking and her eyes begin to shift away. You ever had that before where you're talking to somebody and you're like, they're not even listening to me. They're like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, distraction has a way of, of robbing our focus. And distraction is dangerous because in the moment you don't realize that you're actually going to miss out on important information. And I believe tonight that the enemy of our soul knows the inherent dangers of distraction. And I also believe he understands that if he can't get us out of the church, he'll get us busy. He'll foster a mindset that justifies neglecting time with God because we're doing stuff for God. And the enemy uses these distractions not just for our pursuits, but for people. And so a minor altercation or dust-up that could potentially plant a seed of bitterness suddenly shifts our focus from the gaze of his beauty to the glance at the pain from other people. It's just a distraction. It's, it's just a glance. It's no big deal. But just as the enemy knows the importance of our glances, so too does Jesus Christ. Which is why we find in his word in Psalm 105, which reads, Look unto the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. It's why we find, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence forth my help cometh. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Is there anybody thankful tonight? That you know where to look this evening. 
the writer of Hebrew, he, pu- he puts it like this in Hebrews 12 too. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. I'm not just going to look to him when he starts my journey. Because if I'm ever going to make heaven my home, I need Jesus to see me to the end. He's the author and the finisher. And if I'll keep my gaze on Jesus, it doesn't matter what the middle of my story looks like. I don't care what plot twists and surprises arise. Because like Paul said, I know when I fix my eyes on Jesus, I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. You need to know if you've started this journey, He plans on you finishing. I wish I had some saints that believed I can't do it on my own. I'm not good enough. I can't work hard enough. But I can look unto Jesus. Because if he started it, he's going to see me through. If you believe that tonight, shout amen. Yes. See, the story of Mary and Martha is one of my favorite stories. I, I go back to it all the time, I know. But in Luke 10, we find there's two sisters. And they have different reactions to the the arrival of Jesus to their home. In verse 38 of Luke 10 tells us that Martha, Martha welcomed Jesus in. She acknowledged that he had come to visit. And yet she only offered a glance. Think about that. Jesus walks into your home and you acknowledge his presence, but you keep working. Here's what Martha must have thought. Jesus is here, and so now I need to do more things for him. I need to show Jesus how much I treasure him, so I need to do more chores. I need to work harder. And if we're not careful, we can adopt that same mindset. Where we say, if I just work harder, maybe Jesus will know that I'm serious. But we have to understand that what we bring to the table, our righteousness is filthy rags. Now, now, that, now that's not an excuse to sin. Paul addresses that. But I think sometimes we're so afraid of abusing the grace... And we think we have to work super hard. And if I work hard, maybe Jesus will, maybe he'll love me. But he he already does. In fact, he loves you right now, in this moment, as much as he ever will. And we need to believe that. In In the midst of our sin and shame and failure, I don't have to work to earn his love. How refreshing. We might have to do that for other people. We might have to prove ourselves to other people, prove that we've gotten better, prove that they can trust us. But Jesus said, I'm not looking for you to work harder. I'm looking for you to gaze in my face. I need you to be Mary. See, we value Martha. Now, the spiritual answer says, oh, no, no. But if we're honest, Martha's doing what we would do. Because Mary 
Mary's a, a lazy gazer. She's just sitting there. All, all this work needs to get done. And she has the audacity to sit there at the feet of Jesus. Now the point of this story is not that serving is wrong. We're called to, to servanthood. But in verse 40 of Luke 10 it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now this is for the church folk tonight, okay? If you're visiting, this ain't for you. It's for us. Are we distracted by our serving? Do we fool ourselves into believing that because we come to church X times a week that we don't have to get up and, and sit at the feet of Jesus in the morning? Because that, it happens. You can, you can be working for God and yet not have a relationship with God. But because we come to church, everything on the outside says that we've developed a relationship. But really, we're not gazing, we're glancing. We're looking at him in the morning and saying, thank you for waking me up. And then we're carrying on our day instead of getting up in the morning and saying, Jesus, I don't have an agenda. I just want to sit at your feet. I just want to spend time in your presence. I just want to gaze at your beauty. And if we will do that... Jesus said, Mary chose the good portion. We value Martha. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's not about what you can do. It's about what are you looking at. And so I ask us tonight, what, what are we looking at? Are we looking at our calendars and saying, you know, I might be able to fit 15 minutes in for you, Jesus. I know. It's hard. Because, because the thing is, when you're ambitious, you can justify the, the lack of gazing. Because the, the glance causes an illusion that you are recognizing that Jesus is here. But I don't want to be a glancer. I want to be a gazer. I want to sit at his feet and say, Lord, as long as you're here... The chores, there, there will be time to do the chores. There will be time to do the tasks. I'm not calling for you to neglect your responsibilities or quit your job so you can hang out with Jesus all day. I am saying, why don't we wake up a little earlier in the morning and say, Jesus, I'm not here for anything other than time with you. I don't need you to answer a prayer right now. I don't need you to perform a miracle. I just want to be in your presence. And if we will get to a place where we just want to be in the presence, all of a sudden the master will walk through our door a little more often in our lives. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to a place where I'm so busy that I can't spend time with Jesus. See, see, glancing causes comparison. Because when you're not gazing at Jesus, you're looking around. And you're saying, well, what about Mary? I'm doing all this stuff. And, and, and when you're a highly task-oriented person, and you want to get things done, gazing feels like a waste of time. Right? Even Think about it. I'll just get extremely practical. When you're doing your Bible reading plan, okay, how often do you 
just sail on through and you keep reading and you keep reading? Or do you say, oh, I checked that one today. I read my Psalms today. Oh, I'm in Acts today. I'm sorry tonight, guys. I just want to help us because I want to get to a place where, where we're captivated by his beauty and his presence. And we're not wrapped up in comparing ourselves with each other because we're so focused on Jesus that we don't have time to look to the left or to the right. We're looking unto Jesus. Unto Jesus. We find another Example, before we get to, to our Stephen Stoning narrative, we find Peter in, in Matthew 14. When, when he's, he sees Jesus and Jesus tells him to come walk on water. And, and Peter begins to defy the laws of physics. Everyone knows you can't walk on water. And yet Peter's faith results in a boldness. To ask Jesus to use him in a way that others deemed impossible. And so Peter looked at Jesus and found faith for the impossible. And here's what Matthew writes. But when he saw the wind. I preached this three years ago. Three years ago come, coming out of COVID. We were talking about this. Because it was the wind. In that moment Peter was being used mightily by God. The strength of the wind proved just intimidating enough for his eyes to go from his Savior to his circumstance. And when he focused on the wind, when his attention broke away from the gaze of Jesus to the glance of a problem, the faith transformed into fear in just a moment. And what if you knew that the moment you began walking on water, the wind would try and capture your attention? How, how much more emboldened would you live if you knew that the harder you tried to fix your gaze, the stronger the wind would fight you for your glance? And Peter's walk turned into a sink, not because Peter changed, but because Peter glanced. The gaze is what caused him to get out of the boat. And the glance is what caused him to sink. I feel in my spirit that the enemy is after our gaze in this hour. Maybe you've walked in this room and the wind is blowing hard. The wind of sickness. The wind of economic hardship. The wind of doubt and confusion. The wind of discouragement. You felt great at one time. You were defying the odds just like Peter and walking on water. Maybe you weren't walking on an actual ocean but you were taking a step of faith in the direction that Jesus was calling you to go you thought you were going to be a powerful Sunday school teacher you thought you were going to join the choir you thought you were going to start that Bible study as you prayed Jesus bid you to come but the winds of life started to blow and what once felt like a victory suddenly made you feel like a victim I've come to preach to you this evening that the wind must always obey the master. And if Jesus says peace be still. Guess what? The wind stills. So if the wind is blowing. While Jesus is bidding. All you need to do is fix your gaze on the master. 
and with every step of faith, your gaze will reinforce the ground beneath you. And you will walk in an anointing you never knew you had. You will walk with a bold. I feel the Holy Ghost. You will walk with a boldness instead of shyness. You will defy the odds of others' expectations. Not because you're special, but because Jesus said come. And if he said come, the waves will become roads underneath you. I wish I was preaching to a church that understood Jesus is more than able. It doesn't matter what you expect from me. It doesn't matter what you think of me. If I get out of the boat, the water will become dry ground. Though I wish somebody would preach with me for a minute. Fix your eyes unto Jesus. Yes! I'm wrapping up quickly, guys. I'm wrapping up. Acts 7, we find the story of the first Christian martyr. And it's a little bit different because it's not a story of a miracle. We get, we get the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2. We get the lame man of the gate beautiful in Acts 3. And a lot of times we just kind of sail past Acts 7 because it's not an apostolic miracle that we find it's apostolic forgiveness. And that doesn't preach well. You talk about people receiving strength in their leg. The whole church, ah! But you say, Stephen looked at the people that were throwing stones at him and said, don't lay this sin against them. And we're all like, okay. Well, that was Stephen, but I'm not going to do that. See, we want apostolic signs, but we don't want apostolic forgiveness. And that's what we find in Acts 7. We find apostolic forgiveness. And just to quickly recap, he's giving this speech in Acts 7. He's just a, just a lowly deacon. Didn't have any fancy titles. He just kind of handled the day-to-day task for the church. Didn't have a title, but he had a testimony. Let me stop right here and say, you don't need a title. You need a testimony. Don't, don't chase a title. Don't search for position. Use your testimony to pro- proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Amen? And after false accusations are brought against Stephen, he stands before a crowd and begins to preach Jesus. And he points to the Old Testament. And he follows the history of Israel until it culminates with Jesus as the Messiah. And notice what happens, Acts 7 and verse 56. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. They put their hands over their ears and began shouting. He rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now Stephen wasn't being nasty. He was just pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel's expectations for a Savior. But watch as truth begins confronting their sin. We see the response of the crowd. Verse 54, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him in rage. Let me say that this world will not always receive what you have to say. When you preach Jesus and you do it with the right spirit, 
the crowd will sometimes still reject your words. You can wrap the message in a comfortable bow, but when they open up, the gospel will always confront, convict, and compel. It will, it will produce a conviction that will require a change. And not everybody wants that change. And we can't force the change on them. We just give them the gospel. And it's their decision. It, no man comes to the Father except the Spirit draws them. We cannot save anybody. But we can give our testimony. We can say, look what the Lord has done. We can say, I once was bound by drugs and alcohol. I, I once lived on a bar stool, but somehow, some way, the grace of God picked me up and turned me around and placed my feet on solid ground. Come on, you can say, listen, I know what you're going through. The doctor told me the same thing, but Jesus is a healer, and I'm living today to let you know he's still able. He still has all power. But Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, gazed steadily into heaven. When it comes to attention, there is a profound difference between a glance and a gaze. A gaze requires complete fixation. A glance offers the illusion of attention without the commitment of it. Allows you to pretend. Whereas a gaze requires you to be intentional. Which is why scripture beautifully illustrates Stephen's final moments. When, when it says, but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. Stephen full of the Holy Spirit. It's as if Luke is narrating this faithful moment in specific detail. And he wants to draw readers' attention that Stephen's composure at his own ex execution was contingent upon his gaze. And the reason that Stephen was capable of gazing towards Jesus while under duress and persecution is because Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost. Felt a little carnal for a minute because I thought I was in a Pentecostal church, but that's all right. Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost. And maybe that's just normal to you. Maybe you've just decided, well, this is how it is, and I'm an overcomer. And I, but I, I still believe it's a miracle that I have the Holy Ghost. Because there was nothing I could do to earn it. There was nothing that I brought to the table. But God, who was rich in mercy, said you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Is there anybody in the house thankful for the baptism of the Holy Ghost? If you are, clap your hands and shout amen. Yes. Yes. I wonder how often we allow our gaze to be hijacked by the slight, the sight of vengeance. Quick look at retribution. Minor glance at passionate anger. And instead of gazing into heaven... We glance at the ones most responsible for our pain. 
And this is where we have to decide if we are going to live the Jesus way or not. I don't have time to get into the Sermon of the Mount, but go look, Matt, starting in Matthew 5. Stephen's gaze empowered him to live in a way that followed the teachings of Jesus. In a brief moment of cruel injustice, where outrage, listen to this, where outrage is completely justified on the outside. It is in these moments where we decide if we are truly Christ gazers or heaven glancers. It's those moments. Do we quickly glance at eternity and decide that Jesus is simply our escape plan? Or do we gaze at a loving Savior who demonstrated what life is like when you don't respond? I'm getting ready to close tonight. If we'll stand, I'll wrap up here. I want to look finally at Luke 17, starting in verse 28. We read, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. In verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Jesus says that the last days will be characterized by usual distractions. Eating and drinking. You're, you're living life as if nothing can happen. Buying and selling. You're, you're making transactions without resolving the spiritual debt within yourself. He said they're going to plant and build believing that the future is certain and nothing will stop their plans. And it's in this type of living to which Jesus says, don't you dare turn back. Reaching back through the canon of history into the sacred scriptures of Genesis, Jesus refers to a briefly mentioned unimportant figure, Lot's wife. So we find her in Genesis 19. Starting in verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. He didn't have to do it. The Lord being merciful. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. In verse 17, as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. Verse 23, let's jump from 17 to 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to, to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city what grew on, and what grew on the ground in verse 26. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. That's kind of a wild story. And if we're not careful, we can allow it to become fiction. But Jesus told this story and said in the last days, if you look back, I want you to go back to Genesis 19. And I want you to see what happens when you look back to the world that he was saving you from. 
when you glance towards what God has already delivered you from and it catches your it disrupts your gaze and you begin to think that what you left was better than where you're going and Jesus said I need you to remember Lot's wife finally Luke 9 61 and 62 yet another said I will follow you Lord but let me first say farewell to those at my home verse 62 Jesus said to him no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God I've come tonight with a simple thought and I conclude with a simple question are you a gazer or a glancer do you gaze into the glory of God like Stephen or do you glance at other distractions like Martha with responsibilities and Peter with uncertainty stop when Jesus is calling you forward like Lot's wife and you look back are you a glancer tonight or are you a gazer see here's the thing we got to remember Stephen's gaze didn't prevent their attack it just maintained his attachment if we gaze at Jesus that's not a, a promise of a life without difficulty but Stephen was able to look like an angel he was able to die in a way that others said that he's dying a peaceful death. And they were, they were throwing stones and they were murdering him. And Stephen parallels Jesus and he says, do not hold this sin against him. Which means that we are most like Jesus when we look at Jesus the most. What has your attention tonight? I'm going to open up these altars. I just want to ask you, no pressure, what has your attention? Are you thinking about what you got to do this week? Busy? Are you saying, Jesus, I'm going to take just a little time. And I'm going to gaze into your presence. I want to get at your feet like Mary. And I just want to, I just want to spend time near you. And so tonight as I open up these altars, I want to invite you to come if you would. All across this place, let's make it a house of prayer tonight. We thank you, Jesus, for what we feel in this place. God, we thank you that your presence is accessible to us. I pray, God, that you would capture our attention. That we would fix our gaze towards you. God, that every distraction which is entering our hearts and minds even now God would be drowned out by the sight of your glory move into this place God help us to surrender and to submit to your will and to your way come on all across this place come on why don't we lift our hands and pray towards heaven tonight we love you Jesus